I've been doing in some other areas, this is something that I want us to really think about this whole year. There's this concept of standing. This concept of standing out, standing up, taking a stand, standing for what we believe, um, taking a stand within our, our spiritual walks, taking a stand for our spiritual journeys, taking a stand. If that's who we are, if that is our, if we are a follower of Christ and we call ourselves a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, and you call yourself a believer, it's time to, t- it's, it's, we, we need to take a stand and stand for what we believe. And I want us to think about this for this whole year. I want us to talk about it. I want us to really dig down. I want us to look at the reasons why we don't stand. I want to look at the reasons of what keeps us from standing, what keeps us from standing up and standing out and really taking uh, you know, a deep stand. And we're going to look through here for a while. We're going to look through the life of Daniel. And, and you've read the story. If you've been in church for a while, maybe you haven't heard the story. But if you've been in church for a while, you've heard this story. Um, if you haven't, it's about a guy by the name of Daniel and some of his colleagues. And they, they get taken away from their country. And we're going we're gonna to look at a, a, a particular snippet of that story today. But they get taken out of their country into another country. And they, t- they had to take a stand. They had to t- take a stand for what they believed. And in, partic- in this particular situation, we're going to look at we're, uh, uh, in Daniel's life and his colleagues. We're going to see Daniel actually standing up to a king. He actually stood up to a king that could take his life. He stood up to the king, and he told the king he had to, he told the king to stop sinning. He told the king to cut it out essentially, and he co- told the king to do what was right. That's taking a stand. Daniel also ordered. Uh, was ordered to stop doing something later in his life. We read about he was he was praying, and he was told to stop doing it. He took a stand for what he knew was right, and he didn't stop. But he continued to do what he was right. He didn't do it for the sake of just rebelling. He didn't do it for the sake of just going up against and defying somebody. He took it because that's what he truly believed. He took a stand for what he truly believed. And we're going to see how Daniel stood in faith and prayer and in God, and in God answering him, even when it seemed like he might not have. And we're going to just take a look at the life of Daniel and his colleagues here. Because when we today, as we look at this, as we look at Daniel's life and his colleagues, we're going to see how they took a stand for what they believed strongly. And we're going to talk about the implications of that, and we're going to talk about their conviction. But what I want to ask is, how do we stand out in the right ways? How do you stand out? How do you stand up? How do you say, I'm a follower of Christ and I'm taking a stand? And people know that. And you take a stand. And it's not a stand for things that are, that are just ancillary things. It's taking a stand for what is right. It's taking a stand for Jesus Christ. It's taking a stand for God's kingdom. And I want us to look at that. I want us to really think about that today. And I want us to really take a look at, as we live on this side of the cross and Christ living inside of us, what makes us take a stand? For some of you in here this morning, you've taken a stand. For some of you sitting in here this morning, your faith is deep, your faith is real, your faith is intimate, your faith is strong, and you've taken a stand. And you continue to take a stand. And you stand for what is right. And you stand for what is true. And you stand for the kingdom of God. And you stand to advance the kingdom of God. Why? What drives you to do that? What is it deep inside of you that says, I've got to do this? What makes us take that stand? What has made some of you take that stand? And for others, what is it going to take for you to take that stand? As a follower of Jesus Christ, 
What is it going to take for you to take a stand to say, I'm taking a stand for the advancement of the kingdom of God. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on what that one thing is and stop focusing on these other things. Stop focusing on all these other ancillary things. And I'm going to take a stand for what is real and stand for what is right for the kingdom of God. In the scriptures, in John 17, 26, uh, Jesus is praying. And in that particular passage of scripture, he says this, I made your name known. He's talking to the Father. And it's right before his, it, 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 we're leading up to the crucifixion. And he has this, this deep prayer. And in this prayer, he says this, I made your name known to them. Who? To his disciples, to the people that were around him. I've made your name known to them and will make it known so the love you have loved me with may be in them. Are you tracking? So the love you have loved me with, that love is going to be in them and I may be in them. Jesus is saying, so that love and I may be in them. Now, if you're not, if you haven't been in church and maybe you've been in church for a while and you're really not taking a stand, this sounds freaky, doesn't it? When we talk about Jesus living inside of us, that's that stuff that, that's that church religion stuff that we talk about. Jesus lives in me. And let's be honest, as, as a human, logically, it's like, how does that work? I don't, I may not understand it. But there is something about this that when we truly understand this, truly believe it, truly embrace it, and understand that Jesus Christ lives inside of his followers, how can you not take a stand? Guys, I'm not just talking about taking a stand in the world saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm talking about where your faith moves you. I'm talking about where your faith moves you and motivates you, and it is a real faith. I'm not talking about championing things that, that just are things that it's like, that just, let's be honest. I'm going to just be honest with you, okay? First of the year, we're going to practice honesty, right? There's a lot of stuff we take a stand for that really doesn't matter. Some of us are so entrenched in the temporary things around us that if Jesus came, we would miss him. It's time to raise up, take a stand, and stand for the eternal things. I can't think of a quicker way for us to get more discouraged, more depressed, more frustrated, more off the rails than to think about the, the, the lies of the enemy that deceives us and we spend time dwelling on those and we get so distracted and we get off point. Jesus says, your love, the Father's love will live in them and I will live in them. I will live in them. You and I that live on this side of the cross have that reality. God, Paul said that with the cross, the same power, we've talked about this hundreds of, I don't know how you can't not talk about it, but Paul said this, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that lives inside of each and every one of his believers. You're not going to get more power than that. That is Christ living inside of us, his spirit living inside of us. Jesus even made a statement that we're going to be able to do things far greater than he could. That's amazing, it's mind-boggling. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 3, says this, Christ is not weak toward you, but powerful among you. 
Paul writes another part of Corinthians where he says, we're not talking about just words here. We're talking about the power of the kingdom. We're talking about things that, that, that move. You know, so, so it goes back to this concept of, of, of taking a stand. It's, it, it, it's, it's what the, uh, the Orthodox Church preached and we continue to preach that its participants adheres to this, this, this next, this next slide that says this, Christianity must go beyond Christocentrism to embrace Christification. That is becoming like Christ through Christ. In other words, Christified. The early church, the Orthodox church preached this nonstop in what we should be preaching. That we are so immersed into Christ and Christ is so immersed in us that we are crucified. We become, we become the, literally the hands and feet of Christ. That we are moved by, by Christ. We are literally moved by Christ. Now, when we talk about this, Gary Thomas made a statement here and I love, I loved what he points out here, and it really challenged me when I first read this. And I just want you to think about this, because this is the times where I think we kind of get off rails. This is the times where I think we kind of lose sight of things. And he says this, you know, when we talk about holiness, what do you think about? Let's just real quick, just give a couple shout outs, okay? When you think of holiness, what do you think of? What do you think of? Real quick, holiness. What comes to mind? Dwelling in Christ. What else? Purity. What else? Set apart? Absolutely. What else? Everybody's in agreement with these three things. That's it, right? You know some of the things I think about in holiness? I was raised in that holiness movement that says this. Remember the ones, you, you, you know, you don't, girl, you, don't go, you don't drink and chew and you don't go with girls that do, Right? It's all about the do's and don'ts, right? I remember my folks talking about when they were kids and talking about some of the churches they were part of. They didn't play with playing. How many didn't play with playing cards? Anybody? I'm from West Virginia where it's holy, okay? We got one here. It's holy too. You didn't do playing cards, right? Well, that, that was kind of a thing. You didn't use playing cards. Why? Because it represented what? Gambling, correct? You didn't go to movies. You didn't go to dances, it's all about what you do and don't do is what it can become, right? I love some of the definitions we gave that was given here because holiness can become one of those things where it's about what we're don't what we're not doing. That's not what holiness. I mean, that's part of it. I get that. It's about purity. I understand that. It's about being set apart. That's exactly what holy means, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. But listen to what Gary Thomas says here in one of his books. He says this on holiness. He says, if we don't think about God, pray to God, listen for God's voice, and consciously serve God, by definition, we're living an ungodly life. Okay, now that's a slap in the face. I don't know about you, but that was a slap in my face, a huge slap. If we don't think about God, pray to God, listen for God's voice, and consciously serve God, by definition, we live an ungodly life. Let me share with you a couple more words he had to say that I thought was very... He would go on to say this. We usually think of ungodly as being against God, right? Well, they're very ungodly because they're against God. But ungodly can also be a life that simply ignores God or out of busyness, out of indifference, out of religiosity, out of apathy, we simply don't tap into God. In this sense, it is possible to give an ungodly sermon that may be theologically accurate. That stings. 
It is possible to lead ungodly family devotions that nevertheless focus on spiritual truth. Christianity doesn't address only the ends. It has lively interest in the means. That's why every healthy, growing believer should experience God every day, His presence, His power, and His wisdom. Is that convicting to you? Is that convicting to you? As a follower of Christ, that's very convicting to me. Gary, and it's not, Gary Thomas is not being legalistic here whatsoever. He's saying that this is what it's all about. It's living in Christ. It's Christ living in us. It's, 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 it's being consumed with Christ. And by, consequently by that happening, we become, we become so immersed in Him that we're able to take a stand for what is real. Our lives are then focused more into just giving Him everything to say, look God, my life is yours. You do with it what you want to do with it. This is not about me. It's not about me. It's about you. You see, when that happens, when we start moving in that direction, that's when you're going to take a stand. That's when you're going to stand up, and that's when you're going to take a stand for the things that are right. That's when you're going to become so immersed in the things that are eternal, and you're not going to focus on the things that are temporal. And that's where Satan, that's where the enemy wants to get us. He wants to get us off track. He wants to get us diverted. He wants, he wants to get us distracted so that we're focusing on other things. And then what happens? My prayer life goes down. My time that I'm spending with God and His Word to learn more about Him goes down. My intimate moments that I have with God goes down. And the next thing you know, I'm just living a life just kind of here and there. But it's, as Gary Thomas says, it becomes somewhat ungodly because it's not immersed into Him. And folks, let me tell you, others can tell. Others can tell. There's a very interesting, you may have heard of this particular individual. Her name is Frances R. Havergal. And there's, a pic, there's an image of her right here. You guys know who she is right off the bat? Let me just share with you a couple of things about her. Frances Ridley Havergal was a great hymnist. Okay, and I want you to listen to this. She grew. She died like around age forty-two. But man, did she live a life! She wrote the song "Take My Life and Let It Be." If you've been in church for a while, that song is is one of the kind of the old. I, I grew up kind of with this song. It's one of the old staple hymns that has such rich meaning to it. But listen to this: as she grew up in a strong Christian home and seemed to the outward, outward world to be a Christian woman. In her early 20s, now listen to this, in her early 20s, in her early 20s, she, memorized, she had memorized all of the Gospels, all of the epistles, meaning all of Paul's writings, the book of Revelation, the Psalms, and even the 66 chapters of Isaiah. When she was 21. How many of you know someone in their 20s that could even recite some of the Bible? I'm not putting the, I'm just, are you kidding me? She could recite the Gospels. She memorized the Gospels, all the epistles, the book of Revelation, Psalms, and even the 66 chapters of Isaiah. Now listen to this. And yet, she still longed for a deeper, richer, fuller Christian experience. 
I want you to listen to these words because what happened was Frances had this epiphany, had this, this moment that was, even though she memorized all of these things, there was still something that was kind of missing. And that was this deeper, richer, fuller Christian life, this experience, this encounter with Jesus. She had this encounter with Jesus, but, but this deeper, intimate yearning for him to the point where she was able to pin that would move her to pin the words of this song. moves a person
what moves a person to cry out to God, to say, God, take my whole life. Take my will. Take my money. Take my resources. Take my time. God, take everything about my life and make it yours. What moves a person to do that? Does that describe your life? I mean, I'm sure there's some of you sitting here this morning that you have grown in your spiritual journey to, to where you're you're more that resembles your life there's others in here that that's what we want but we it's there's still that struggle man there's still that pull there's still that thing that you know other things kind of get in the way and then there's some that just says you know what that's there's christianity it's a part of my life it's not my life it's a part of my life but i believe it's when people can come to the point of like Francis and like Daniel and like these other people that, and, and countless people that we read about in the, in the Bible, these men and women that said, God, my life is yours. God, I'm willing to take a stand. God, I'm willing. You know, I think about, you know, we read about the martyrs. We read about the, er, the people that translated the word, um, the, the Bible. We read about the early Bible translators that would, that would, that would get burned at the stake. Read about people in the early church that would get taken into the Colosseums and ripped apart for their faith. And yet they would stand there and they would sing praises to God saying, you know, this is, I'm, I'm unworthy. What drives a person to embody a faith to that point? It says, God, here's my life. Francis would go on, she would write a book that says, I still wait, in her, in her book she says this, I will, I still wait for the hour. When I believe he will reveal himself to me more directly. But it is this quiet waiting of present trust, not the restless waiting of anxiety and despair. And though she had a clear, and though she clearly had a deep love for scripture, I mean, guys, the memorization of her, and though she had a clear, deep love for for, for the scripture, she longed for this deeper experience of God dwelling within her. She would say, so I want Jesus to speak to me, to say many things to me that I may speak for him to others with real power. It is not knowing doctrine, but being with him, which will give this. I believe when people reach that point, when they have that yearning, that's the people that stand up. Those are the people that stand up and say, this is about the kingdom of God. When we read about Daniel, I'm going to share a little bit about the backstory of Daniel. When we read about the story of Daniel, let me give you a little bit of context. The nation of Israel, uh, during King, let's start with King David. The nation of Israel during King David was at the climax, man. They were absolutely at the climax, the pinnacle of all. Everyone knew about them. All other nations feared them. David dies. His son Solomon takes over. We read about Solomon. He was he was he had, he was the wisest king, but yet he he was all about trying to just he was all about just searching for things. And at the end of his life, he says everything's meaningless. It's all about knowing God. Solomon dies. The king the the nation goes to his son. A couple of his sons. The tribes, the nation of Israel, made up of twelve tribes, the twelve tribes of Jacob. They come to his son and they say this you need to lighten the taxes 
Because he's, Solomon, your dad was breaking our backs with taxes. You need to lighten the taxes because if you don't, we're going to split. And, and he goes and he counsels with some people and he comes back and he says this, if you thought my dad was tough, I'm going to be ten times worse. The nation divides. Those twelve tribes, ten of them go to the north, two of them go to the south. You have a divided nation. You have ten tribes going to the north that make up the northern kingdom. You have two, two of the tribes going to the south to make the southern kingdom. They begin to fall to idolatry. They begin to fall to all kinds of things of wickedness that God hated. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to each of these nation, each of these kingdoms saying, you better turn, you better turn, you better turn, you better turn. Because if you don't, this is what's going to happen. Neither one of them listened to God. And so what happened in the north, Assyria came in and literally dispersed them. They came in, they took bits and pieces of different families, they intermarried into each of their families, they literally diluted the whole pure nation of Israel, if you will. In the south, they were told to stop, they didn't listen, so Babylon comes over, and they take, they take, in three waves, they take people back to Babylon. In the first wave, they took all the leaders, the royalty, the ones that were kind of the upper echelon that they were going to indoctrinate with their culture. The second wave, they kind of took the common people. And the third wave, they took more of the workers, per se. Three waves. Daniel and his colleagues went in that first wave over to Babylon. Okay? Daniel and his colleagues go over in that first wave of Babylon. So we pick up the story, if you will, and if you would turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. If you go to the Psalms and then go a couple more books to the right, you're going to find it. You're going to go to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and you're going to, you're going to find Daniel. Daniel, and we're going to look at chapter 1. We're going to look at just a couple chapters here, a couple verses out of the first three chapters. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 5, this is the story we have here. This is where we pick up on what's taking place. So Daniel and his colleagues are in this in this group. And this is what happens in verse 3 uh, through 5. It says, The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledge, perspective, uh, perceptive and capable of serving in the king's palace and to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they, they were to serve in the king's court. Daniel was in this group. Daniel and his colleagues were in this group. And they were told to eat the king's stuff, or the king's, you know, the king's meals. But here's what was taking place. They were wanting to really create, if, I, if we can use the term now or then, now, cultural Christians. Okay? I get that Jesus wasn't on the scene yet. But the king was really trying to create cultural Christians. If you want to go ahead and flip to that next slide there. And cultural Christians is kind of like what we would have today. Contemporary. That's a contemporary term for us today. But that's what they were trying to do then. He brought these royal leaders in. He brought the cream of the crop in. And what he was wanting to do, he was wanting to indoctrinate them with his culture, with the king's culture, with the Babylonian culture. He wanted them to learn the language. He wanted them to learn the customs. He wanted them to forget about the who they were, their old identity, and become the new identity of a Babylonian, to, to accept their culture and who they were. That's exactly what was taking place. 
And what happens with us is it kind of runs contemporary because that's exactly what Satan wants to do through... That's the plot of Satan today. He wants us to warm up to the culture as well. It's kind of like a frog and kettle type thing where we kind of, we kind of, if we don't stand out, if we're not immersed into, into the word, if we're not immersed into truth, if we're not immersed into this intimate relationship with Jesus, what happens is we become cultural Christians. We become individuals where we say that we're Christians, but when we kind of look, when you look at our lives, they really don't stand out. We really don't stand out. And that's exactly what was taking place here. This spiritual attack where this, del- this delusion, this deception was taking place from the enemy. And it's exactly what, that what Satan wants to do now. He wants to take and, and reduce our priority to God in our lives. Where we seek Him, we depend upon Him. Where we seek the Word, where we pray with Him, we commune with Him, we talk with Him. He is everything to us. And He wants us to get distracted. He wants us to get off point. He wants us to stop hearing the Spirit. He wants us to kind of just kind of start becoming, you know, kind of milk toast, Kind of, you know, kind of just lackadaisical about the whole thing. And this is what we see with Daniel and his colleagues. Except they did something different. It was like, you know what? This isn't, this isn't the life that we're going to have here. This isn't, this isn't what, this isn't what we're about. And so what they understood about themselves was, is that they were going to be holy, that they were set apart. And if you turn to the verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, and then we'll look at verses 16 and 17. But I want you to take a look at this, because in verse 7 and 16 and 17, we, we, we go from this time where he's feeding them their food, that he's wanting to feed them with the food and kind of culturally get them to accept who the Babylonians are. And, and, and now it's coming to the point to where they're going to bow down. They're going to take on the customs, the gods of Nebuchadnezzar. And it says this in verses, uh, chapter, uh, three, verse seven. It says, therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, People of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then jump over to 16 and 17, or, four, or I think 14 there. It says, Nebuchadnezzar asked them, meaning Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue that I set up? So here you have three colleagues of Daniel that's in the same situation where they're saying, we're not going to do this. This isn't who we are. This... We, we're someone different. We've been set apart. We're someone different. We're not Babylonian. This isn't our culture. And we're not going to serve your gods. We're going to take a stand. And we're going to take a stand for God's kingdom. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes and says, is it true? Is it true that when we sound off the horns, when it's time for you to bow down to these gods, is it true that you're not bowing down? And listen to their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king there in verses 16 7. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from this furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. They're saying, you know what? We don't want anything to do with this. And they threaten them. If anyone doesn't do this, they're going to get thrown in this blazing furnace that we, you know, this blazing furnace, we're going to take your life. And they said, you know what? We don't even have to answer this. We're just telling you right up front. We're not going to do it. That's not who we are. We're not cultural Christians. Christ, you know, and again, I get that Christianity wasn't that, but contemporary today, this is not who we are. This isn't a piece of our life. This isn't something that we just kind of, you know, have within our lives. This is who we are. This is who we are. And this is what we stand for. And he took a stand. And this is who we are. 
But here's the key, guys. And this is the key to anything. And this is where I want, this is, this is the takeaway for today. The key is this. They were predetermined. They were predetermined. And what I mean is that, is this. When it came time to where they were tested for what they stood for, they already knew the answer. When it came time where their faith was put to the test, there wasn't anything to negotiate. There wasn't any second thoughts about it. There wasn't even, hey guys, let's go back here and let's go to the drawing board here for a second and just kind of figure out how we can get out of this or possibly, you know, what we can do. There wasn't any of that whatsoever. There was a predetermination. It was already determined. It was already determined in their minds who they were, what they stood for, what they believed, and they, when it came time that it was tested, they simply stood. They stood. There wasn't anything, no doubt, nothing. It was predetermined. They had it resolved in their hearts already ahead of time. The decision had already been made. When they were faced again with this temptation, they would do what was right. Listen to this in verse 18 of chapter 3. But even if He does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. That was simple. They had it. They could argue all day long. They could argue all, you know, they would, it, it, it wasn't who they were. That's not what they were going to do. It was predetermined. It was going to happen. Guys, this is where I'm at. And today with us, this year, what I want us to focus on is really dwell down and ask ourselves, you know, some serious questions about our faith to say, is this, do we, is this who we really, is this really me? Have I committed to this? Not, not, not some, you know, well, I've, I've received, you know, I've received my salvation, so now I can just wait and kick back until Jesus returns or something happens. That's not the way it works. The way it works is that we're filled with the Spirit of God. The way it works is that Jesus lives inside of us. The way it works is that we become the hands and feet of God. The way it works is we become individuals that bring God glory by, by doing the things that God is calling and asking us to do. Eternal salvation is one aspect of it. Living to that point is another aspect. And a lot of times we get so confused in this aspect right here and we lose sight of it because everything else demands our attention. Everything else demands our passion. Everything else demands our time. Everything else demands our resources. And if we're not careful, what happens is we become cultural Christians. The decisions we make are not based upon the Word of God. They're not based upon who we are, who we say that we are, who we say that lives inside of us, who we say that we're following. But it's based on, is it, is it convenient for me? Is it convenient for my family? Is it convenient for this time? And if it's not, then how do I get that? How do I make it so that it doesn't inconvenience my life? I pray that this year could be a year where we really take a strong look at this and understand that, you know what? I know who I stand for and I know who I am. And it's not just about some doctrine, even though it's very important, but it's about that experiential walk with Jesus, that daily walk with Jesus, living with Him inside and out. Making that decision now, regardless of what happens into the future, always staying strong to what we believe, not getting off point, not allowing anything else to take us away from that. And really, at the end of the day, doing exactly what Daniel did, and we're going to see him doing it again and again. And, and these, these three individuals, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that is this, standing out. 
Today's the day where we decide that we're going to stand out. I pray that this would be something that you would allow the Spirit of God to connect with yours here in these next few moments as we, as we close with a song. But the question is this, you know, are you, are you a person that can stand out? Are you a person that believes so strong in your faith? You are so, you are so embedded, Christ is so embedded in you that it, that it's already been predetermined. And I'm not talking about that it's, you know, you know, yeah, it is. It's, no, I'm talking about you're passionately, passionately following Christ now. And again, I get it. I'm not standing here preaching as if I don't struggle. Because I want to tell you, this is something that is going to, I think, the biggest struggle, the biggest challenge, the biggest fight we're ever going to experience. And that is, are we going to allow the God to consume us, to consume everything about us? Could our lives... Could we, our lives, script a song out that says, God, take my life. My life is yours. Every aspect of my life, my finances, my time, my resources, my love, my desires, everything is yours. To the point to when it ever got tested, we could stand out. Standing out for God in the advancement of His kingdom. I pray that today would be a day that you would allow, again, just allow the Spirit here in these next few moments as the worship team comes, that you would be able to just wrestle with that, or hopefully not wrestle with it, but maybe today's the day you're, it's time to make a decision. Maybe today's the day it's time to make a decision. It says, you know what? I've been dancing around this, and today's the day to make the decision. And that doesn't, maybe, maybe you have never made that decision. Maybe you've made that decision, but right now your life really, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it, it, it's not a song, it's not a song that, you know, your life isn't a, your life song isn't a song that would represent, you know, here I am. Here I am. Take it all. Here I am. But maybe today's the day you're going to rise up and make that decision and have that continual predetermination that says, my life is yours regardless of what happens. Would you stand as I close with a word of prayer and we just uh, allow the Spirit of God to, to connect with us and connect with our spirits here. Father, I, I thank you so much for your Spirit that lives inside of us. And Father, I thank you so much that when at times we get diverted or distracted, that there's always that grace there's always your grace that we can fall back into and, and, and look back or just kind of fall into your arms and, and once again say, God, take me. God, I'm trying to run my life the way I think I should. God, I'm trying to do it myself. God, I'm, I'm moving in a direction that is not in the direction towards you. And I thank you so much that you are there, that you never leave us, that you never abandon us. And God, I pray that our hearts would be so sensitive to yours right now. I pray that we'd be so sensitive to the leading of your spirit. I pray that we would just, just commit our lives to you in a way that would, that would be if whatever comes, we're going to stand out. We're going to stand out. We're not going to be succumbed by the world. We're not going to be succumbed by our culture. We're not going to be succumbed by what's taking place around us. The Father, we're going to be overtaken by you, overwhelmed by you. And I pray that you would give us the courage to make that decision. I pray that we wouldn't be deceived. I pray that we wouldn't be distracted. 
I pray this morning, Father, that your spirit would have freedom right now in this room. And I pray that you would just bring to mind to each and every one of us those things that may keep us from, from that happening. I pray that you might bring to mind things that is keeping that from happening now. I pray that we would be eager to turn over to you the things that, that has become an obstacle between us and you and having a rich, rich, intimate, spiritual journey with you. So I just, we just pray right now, all of us pray right now in our hearts that, Father, that you would have freedom in this room and that we would encounter you in a very overwhelming way. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and ask these things. Amen.